Emotional intelligence and self-awareness. These are not just buzzwords. These are components that you need to carry with yourself in every aspect of life, including business and interpersonal relationships. Today, I interview Liz Kislick. Liz Kislick has over 30 years of experience in management consultant. She's worked with companies such as Girl Scouts, Janssen Pharmaceuticals, Highlights for Children, and American Express, helping them solve some of the most daunting issues that they have ever had. And she is also a frequent contributor to Forbes Magazine and Harvard Business Review. She is an executive coach, TEDx speaker, and of course, a management consultant. You're going to want to listen to this because she's got so much valuable information that you're going to be able to carry into your business, into your career, and into your life. You are listening to For Better Self and Net Worth. In this community, we think you'll find your self-worth comes before your net worth and everything else. We also think you were designed to go after the life you want by ditching societal norms, knowing exactly who you are as an individual, and going after your unique purpose here on this earth. Every week, Ella interviews an entrepreneur that designed the life they wanted among the challenges, naysayers, and leaving outside their comfort zone. Or you're going to hear straight from Ella, where she talks about the important lessons she's learned in life and how she's achieved the overall happiness she has. This is Ella, the host for Better Self and Net Worth. Based out of Nashville, Tennessee, she makes every single day an adventure. You'll always find her right here behind the microphone, sharing all her thoughts with all of you. And we appreciate you listening and hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to For Better Self and Net Worth. This episode, fun fact, is being recorded on 2-2-22-22. No, Super excited about that because it's a big day. And we're going to learn about leadership development and the key components with the management consultant and executive coach, TEDx speaker, and frequent contributor to Forbes Magazine and Harvard Business Review, Welcome to the show, Liz Kislick. She has a client portfolio, including working with Girl Scouts, American Express, Janssen Pharmaceuticals, and Highlights for Children. And she's helped these companies solve some of the most daunting issues that can occur with the business. Liz, we are thrilled to have you here today. Would you like to go ahead and tell us a little more about yourself and what inspired you to be the success that you are today? Thank you, Ella. I'm happy to be with you. Um, So... When I graduated from college, I wanted to go to work as opposed to most of my friends who were going to grad school because I felt that work was where you make things happen and that business just was active and going to be more exciting for me. Even though I loved school, I figured you can always be learning wherever you are. Yes, I strongly relate to that. Yes. So I went to work for this small marketing agency where I had actually uh, worked for a couple of summers before because they already knew me. 
they were willing to pay me more as a very young person than companies that were interviewing me, you know, cold as a stranger. Mm-hmm. And um, boy, it was a bit of a roller coaster at the beginning because when I was hired on a, on a permanent basis, it was to be an account executive. But when I got there, the first week, uh, maybe 10 days after I graduated, um, it turned out that the manager of one of the clerical departments was out on maternity leave. So they just put me in there as an interim manager. And I didn't know the work. <laughs> and uh, I didn't have a track record of management. Uh, and all of a sudden, I was responsible for two dozen people. And I had to learn the work and the people and to be able to navigate this quite challenging circumstance right off the top. Um, one of the first things that was really an interesting lesson for me, their boss, who was out on maternity leave, was a screamer. And this department was used to screaming at their boss. Yes. Top of their lungs. And I'm very much not that way. So the first thing we had to get used to was how to have a meeting together. <laughs> you, you can't make some of these things up. Anyway, we did fine. And their boss came back and I became an account executive and had new jobs there. I was promoted basically every six months because when there was something going undone, I didn't like that. So I would try to find some way to cover whatever needed to be handled, and then I would be recognized for that. So when I was 23, I was a vice president managing a 300-employee call center, which was the hardest job of my life. And as soon as there was another opening, I moved to it and became responsible for client services instead because the, the need to have so many moving parts, that wasn't for me. Yeah. I like figuring out what's right and what's wrong and how should we get there much more than I like the day-to-day implementation. <clears throat> and that was a big lesson for me. So it, it was great. Uh, but then the owner died and the firm was undercapitalized and new leadership came in. Anyway, it made sense for me to go. And I did. This was a very long time ago. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, within a week, other people in the industry were subcontracting consulting work to me. Because I was a known entity. I was active in the trade association. I had a good network. That is a crucial thing, particularly if you are ever thinking of working outside a corporate environment. Inside, you need a network too. But if you want to accomplish things outside, you need to know a lot of people who know other people and they put you in touch. Very important. And... So, as I say, it was within a week, and I've never stopped. 
And I've had my practice now, it was 34 years in December. Way to go. That's incredible. And I want to go back to a couple pieces. I want to go back to the piece where you said a lot of your friends were continuing their education. Do you feel like you got more education working than you would have in a grad school environment? I got a different kind of education. Kind? Um, there is real value in becoming an, an attorney. There is real value in becoming uh, one of my friends went to grad school for public policy and she worked in government for many years. It depends on what you want. What I like about working in the real world instead of in a school environment, in many ways, it is easier to see the impact of your actions. Yeah. And it's also easier to experiment. You can try different things and you see what works and you learn your own lessons. I did go for an MBA six years at night because I really looked too young to be at the level that I was, people thought I was 16, you know, and so I hoped that the credential, if they saw that in advance, at least they would have a slightly different impression of me than when they met me. I don't know if that happened or not. It was useful to get the degree. Um, my MBA is in management I think I learned more about management in the real world than I did in class. Yeah. But it's incredibly important to be able to read a P&L and a balance sheet and know what to do with them, you know? Absolutely. There, there were things that were very valuable about that program. Yeah. I can see that. It's, I, I ask that because as much as I love school, I could probably go to school for my, the rest of my life if I had the option. But... I feel like actually working, because I did, I started out in advertising and public relations, working in it and the textbooks, the marketing textbooks, almost felt like two different things. The terminology that I use, the lingo, and actually what I went about doing. I also worked in customer service. I think a lot of people who are listening have worked in jobs that they're not the end goal to get where they're at but they've learned from those jobs. They've taken some valuable lessons from them. I know working at Verizon, I did not want to sell phones, but it was a staple job. It had the 401k and the benefits. And it was during a recession when I took the job, but I made so many connections and learned so much about myself dealing. But I learned more about psychology working with the public than I did in a textbook because you learn to work with different forms of people. And that is really key component to being successful is who you can work with. I agree a hundred percent. The skills that you get up close and personal, I mean, yes. even on a phone, but that voice to voice connection, the variety, it's not going to be captured in a textbook. The no. textbook will have more general cases, and that's very valuable. And it's useful sometimes to have real-world experience and then get some more education and see how those two things dovetail. But one of the things that's great 
about today's world, Ella, because I'm still educating myself all the time. Not only are there books of every kind for whatever you want, but there are so many podcasts, videos. There are phenomenal quantities of information available for free. And so you can make a program for yourself and just keep learning. And that then prepares you if you want to change from whatever you're doing. Yes. They're saying the online education right now, and I'm not talking about, you know, a academic environment, but they're saying online courses are worth billions of dollars right now. Makes total sense. Is for photography, for content creation, design, just about anything and everything there's a class for online. And that's one of the greatest things that social media has given to us. It's just a wealth of education. Yeah. To your earlier point, though, just in contrast to what we've just said, because I always look to, like to look at both sides oh, of, of the discussion, to become skillful yourself, particularly in interpersonal dynamics, reading, Watching videos, so helpful for for building up your perceptions and your ideas. But there is nothing like interacting (laughs) to learn what you can really communicate and how you communicate best and what other people take away from it. And that's like a lab all the time. Yes. And, And if you pay attention... And track for yourself. I don't mean you have to to write it down and keep notes every day. But if you keep tabs on which kinds of interactions are very successful and which ones are not, either because they don't accomplish what you wanted or because they leave you feeling terrible, you can learn so much about what to try next time. Yeah. I think that's in sales. It's always trial and error. You figure out what works for that person, what basically how to win them over and what their priorities are. And the biggest thing is learning what someone else's, what someone else's needs are before, and I say this from a sales standpoint, know what their needs are before you think about how you're going to hit your goals. Yes. Learning the other person first. Yes. How they act what they want, yes, learning that first. Then you can pull the right information from your head or your database or whatever. Then you can pull the right tone. Some people are more jokey. Some people are very serious. Some people want, you know, just the business end. Learning what they need actually smooths your path, even though it can feel more challenging in the beginning. Yes, And I was looking over some of your pieces, some of your contributions to Harvard Business Review, Forbes Magazine, and some of the eBooks that you offer. And I noticed you talk a little bit about conflict management and how we produce a productive business culture. And culture is, it sounds like a buzzword now, but people go to work for the culture of their company, how they feel in that company. And what do you think some of the key examples of a successful business culture are? What do you think makes up a great business culture? So the first thing I'm going to say is not what would come to most people's mind, but it actually relates to what we were talking about before. One of the things 
that is incredibly useful in a culture is whether people are curious and interested in each other, whether they're curious about how the business works, being, you know, having your eyes and ears open and wanting to know makes it much easier to learn, much easier to interact with others. It sets the groundwork for productive relationships. People who are not curious make too many assumptions, and they base them often on something they've experienced before. Nobody likes that person who says, well, at my old job, we did such and such, so why aren't we doing that here? It may be a really useful piece of information, but people don't like to hear very much, the way I used to do it is better. No. The way I used to know is better. Staying open and attuned to place. Yeah. That's right. Staying open and attuned to what's happening in front of you gives you a leg up on everybody else. That's wonderful. And then just so you talk about being curious about each other. Do you mean like what their hobbies are, what their needs are? It's like sales, Ella. Yeah. Really all of it. Whatever you can get. Whatever are the first parts that are available to you. Uh, I'm not recommending prying, but um, the more you know about coworkers, and I'm not talking about every aspect of your private life, but I'm talking about how you interact or operate best. For example, some managers want a face-to-face, even now if it's on video, conversation. Others want a write-up. Others, if you don't text them, it's like nothing exists. Everybody's different. Learning the way other people work most comfortably and therefore will pay attention to your communication will give it to them the way they like it. That can feel kind of unfair, I understand that. But if you want a result, it makes sense to offer to the other person on their terms, in their language, so to speak. That way you get the most attention and you're most likely to get a successful result. If you have to overcome the communications channel as well as their different frame of mind, well, that's two things you've got to overcome. So narrow it down. That's why learning about the other person is great. And the more you do know about each other as real human beings, the more you take the real human into account when you have a difference of some kind. Yes, and this is something... We say culture is important. What are some of the other traits that a company should have to have the most retention and attract the talent that they want? So this is a very, very big deal right now. Um, Some people call it the great resignation. Many people, and I will say this depends on what industry you're in. Many people have left jobs during the pandemic or couldn't work because of their life issues. They weren't able to stay in their jobs. So there's a lot of movement right now in the workforce. 
culture is something that attracts people or turns them away. You know, years ago, sometimes there would be this kind of people wanted a high powered culture, an exciting culture. Um, think about, oh, the show Mad Men, for example. Oh, I love that show. Now, I considered a lot of that really toxic. Yeah, that's extremely toxic. Right. I actually couldn't watch it. I would get too upset and want to tell everybody how they should behave. But um, some people are excited by that kind of thing. But most people are happy to watch it, but don't want to live it. Yeah. Right? Nobody wants to work for Don Draper. So years ago, people, I mean, you know, people did want to work for Don yeah. Draper. It's based right. on a true, it's right. kind of based on a true story. Like that's how women were viewed in advertising agencies. The that's right. Husbands. It was not common for women to actually have any input on how business operates. Right. So um, what people want in a culture now, first, everything I'm going to say is a generalization. And I want your listeners to understand that because the variety that is out there is so significant and some of it depends on the nature of the business. So you gave some of the names of organizations I've worked with and I had very wonderful relationships and experiences there. More recently though, I've actually been happy, really happy, working in privately held and often family businesses. And that's because there's less bureaucracy. I'm often working directly with the CEO or the owner or at their behest, a level or two down. And therefore, if I feel something's not right in the organization, I can go to the top dog whoever he or she is, and say, this is what's happening. Is that what you want? And we can talk about what needs to be done. And I find that so rewarding because it makes it much easier to make productive change than if you have to navigate up the chain of command. Yeah. When, when businesses work with you, what initiates the relationship? That's a very smart question. So all kinds of things, but to one of your earlier points, probably most often it's that work is not getting done the way it should or progress is not being made because there is some kind of conflict, a roadblock, a log jam somewhere in the organization and people have not figured out how to get through it. Yeah, it, there seems to be in a lot of cases, and this is just a generalization myself, but there's a disconnect between the upper leadership and the people who are on the front line. See that yep. with a lot of corporations, you know, decisions are being made that impacts the front line in ways that will impact, maybe negatively impact the business. That's absolutely right. And some of that is that the most senior leaders haven't been on the front line for very, very, very many years. Yeah. And, and they don't really even remember their 
own history so well, or they remember a particular story and they think everything's like that, Mm -hmm. or they just don't spend direct time meeting with frontline workers. Um, So that's one kind. But the other is, it is very easy at whatever your level of leadership is, if you are a leader, to fall into a kind of echo chamber experience at your level. Because you are talking to people all the time, so you don't think you're making anything up. You think you're getting all this good input. But you can have a kind of agreement because we are all at the same level that does not take into account what's happening above you or below you. And it's very easy to misinterpret the communication and signals that are coming from other groups that you are not part of. Because, goodness, we really are not great at getting across what's going wrong and why it's not working and what the benefits are of addressing it. People do operate often out of a kind of complaint mode. This is bothering me. I think it's bad as opposed to explaining, you know, we would save a lot of money if we did X, or we would make a lot more money if we did thus and so. When you position the things that bother you and the changes you want to see in their full benefit to the organization, not just to you, you're much more likely to get a real hearing. That's incredible. And that's something, another popular topic that I noticed you cover is emotional intelligence. And something with emotional intelligence is, I for a minute, I would read about it and I'd hear about it, but I didn't really fully grasp what it was until maybe recently. Would you mind brushing up on emotional intelligence, what it is and why it's important for a business overall? Sure. And I'm going to talk about it specifically in a context for business people. All right. So at its simplest, I think of emotional intelligence as having two major components. One is self-awareness. What's going on with me? What am I reacting to? What's important to me? It's really knowing yourself. Because if you don't know yourself, if you have um, misapprehensions about yourself, then what you do in the world will not be received the way you expect. Because what you're actually doing, the way you're actually behaving, may not be like the image you hold in your head. So real self-awareness is very important. And some of that we learn not just by paying attention to ourselves, but by the feedback we get from others. Yeah. So self-awareness is one major chunk. It can be the toughest too. um, Well, the second chunk that I'm going to tell you about can be equally as tough. I agree that self-awareness is very hard, but this is hard too. And that's self-regulation. That is, when you feel angry at someone, are you able to calm yourself so that you don't 
either come out at them aggressively and attack them or do that thing, which in some cases is even worse, going silent, being like a stone, giving them nothing. You know, we all know people who do that. You know, they just fold their arms and glare at you and nothing is happening. Um, So being able to manage your own reactions so that they are appropriate to the situation you are in. That's very hard because we're instinctive. We're animals. Our body reacts as things are happening. Um, And if we're not paying careful attention to think, oh, I'm taking short, choppy, shallow breaths and my head is pounding and my chest is tight and I can barely swallow, something is upsetting me. Yeah. Let me calm down first before I go running out of my workspace to yell at that person. That's self-regulation. Yeah. And that can be just as hard as self-awareness, I think. And I think too, a lot of times if you're getting, anytime I've seen myself get really upset or angry, it's a bunch of little things that build up that I'll pretend like doesn't bother me. And this is more interpersonal, but things will build up and I just kind of go along with it, pretend like it doesn't bother me and just kind of write it off. And then I'll get to a breaking point where I'm just really upset. So you just pulled the two things together because that pretending means that you had some self-awareness. This bothers me, but you didn't figure out how to deal with it in a productive way. You may have dealt with it in an avoidant way. Yeah. So what I would encourage people to do, the first time something bothers you, it could be a fluke. You know, um, oh, I don't know. Uh, The person working in the next workspace uh, is playing music and it bothers you. Or on video, you really need to see the person you're talking to and they always have their camera off or, you know, whatever it is, most of these things are silly by themselves. It's the buildup over time that has impact. But if it happens once, make a mental note. If it happens twice, it's actually appropriate to think about what should I do if this happens a third time so that I'm ready that's a good idea. Just make that mental note. Just, right. It's bothering me. And then see, is this worth tackling or not? Is there a solution? Is Ask the guy in the next, hey, do you have some earphones you can put that on? Exactly so. Yeah. Because a planned response is likely to be more mature and more productive than a reactive response. I generally unless there's some terrible violation happening. I, ter- I, I generally don't recommend taking action until you see a third incident because three times is a pattern. And if you don't respond, once a pattern starts, the pattern gets stronger. Yes. Okay, so mental note, preparation, and then response. Mental note, preparation, then response. And I think sometimes being fully aware of how something is affecting you is going to make you handle it better than just writing it off. Like that's absolutely right. 
saying you don't care and really deep down you're it's it's bugging you. Yes, absolutely because then you are carrying around this pressure or negativity or distress. Well, that's very bad for your stress hormones. Yeah. You're actually not helping your body in any way. And you're building up this kind of reservoir of aggravations. You said before that for you, it's the buildup of a lot of little things. That's exactly what you're illustrating with this thing about, oh, this doesn't really bother me. I'll just put it away. Instead, say, ooh, I didn't like that very much to yourself. I hope that doesn't happen again. If it does, I'll have to think about what to do. And then you've promised yourself, in effect, that you are going to be ready to take action if it's necessary. That's also a good time after you've noted it. If you really have no idea what to do, talk to some buddies. Get some input about what might be ways to handle it. You'll always have one friend who wants you to go and, you know, turn off whatever the guy's audio is that's making the problem for you. Just reach over and do it. That's not a good idea. That's on the far end. That's not a good idea. And you'll have somebody else who says, find a different workspace. Well, you shouldn't have to do that. No. But somebody is going to give you advice that's in the middle. And that's worth, yeah, and that's worth thinking about. Yeah. Would you, would you please, do you have some earphones? If not, can we find you some? (laughs) Right. And start with, and this is one of the most helpful phrases. I noticed. I noticed. Yes. I noticed there's a lot of sound coming from your workspace over into mine. It sounds like you might be listening to a recording of a class Maybe that's something the person's supposed to be doing. It sounds like you might be watching a training video. It sounds like all these possible things that might be perfectly fine. I'm hearing it more than is productive for me. Yeah. Do you happen to have a pair of headphones? It looks like your camera's not on. Would you mind turning it on so I can see your face? Right. Right. And explaining why, you know, it's helpful if I can get your reaction because this is new material we're covering and I want to make sure it's really in good shape for you. I want to make sure you have every opportunity to signal to me if there's something that we need to adjust. Yes, that's really good. Now tell us about some of your work. You have a free ebook that listeners can download. Yeah. Um, for anybody who wants to go to my website, which is www.lizkislik.com, and that's L-I-Z-K-I-S-L-I-K, there is a free book on the interpersonal aspects of conflict and how you deal with them. And that's, in a way, a kind of companion piece to my TEDx talk, which is more about the structural aspects of conflict in an organization and why you have to deal with them. So by watching the TEDx and downloading the ebook, you've really got a lot of information there about how to deal with conflict at work. And um, while you're on my website, so the ebook will also put you in touch with my monthly 
newsletter, weekly blogs, et cetera. And I've got over 10 years of material of all kinds of workplace issues and how to deal with them, whether you're a leader or a worker. Yes. Now, I would ask you, what are some of the issues you've had to deal with? But I know just confidentiality reasons. But everybody, I think, has, whether they have their own business, whether they have, you know, work for a corporation, their senior leadership, sales, wherever they're at, they have had something, something in this podcast is resonating with them that they've had to deal with. That's great. I mean, we all deal with differences of opinion. Yes. Which can turn into negative conflict if we're not skillful about it. Um, So everybody needs that. And the idea of self-awareness and self-regulation, oh my goodness, everybody needs that too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Don't be, did you ever watch The Office? Once. Once, yeah. (laughs) Michael Scott, that he is the epitome of somebody not having self-awareness. Yes, And you see what a mess it makes. Yeah. You know, I mean, in this case, it was a mess for laughs. But we have all worked with that person. And it is a drag. It's a drag. And you see in the show, the workers are actually doing what they're supposed to do. For the most part. It all went back to him. Right. Well, if you have a leader with ineffective behaviors... That's difficult for everybody, but also in the long run, it makes everybody just a little squirrely. And part of what starts to happen is that some of the very good people who can find employment elsewhere start to go. And then you end up with the people who are the most squirrely. Yes. Yes. You know? Above pay and everything else, I think people really want to feel valued. Oh, for sure. And that their work is meaningful. Exactly. That they're not just punching in a clock and just, you know, being being a puppet on a string. That's absolutely right. We all want some sense of autonomy in the way we can do our work. Different amounts. You know, some people want, I wanted to be completely independent. I did not want to go back into a company. And if I don't like what a company is doing, I don't renew with them. You know, I like my independence. Some people don't want that much independence, but they do want to feel that they know their work. They can handle it themselves. They have their own good ideas and that it is meaningful both to themselves and to their colleagues that their good work gets done. Wonderful. Do you have any lasting advice that you want to leave the listeners with? Okay, I'll give you two related pieces. One goes back to something that I talked about before, which is to stay curious. Stay curious. And another way to look at that is to stay open-minded. Just because you don't recognize something as being the good way, take a look at it and see what good there is in it. And that's very helpful for the second thing, which is we all get frustrated. Things go wrong. Mistakes happen. We all get frustrated. But there's almost always something you can do to make the situation better. 
And so if you've been curious, you'll have more ideas about what to do to improve whatever the difficulty is. Wonderful. And tell everyone where we can find you, work with you, and continue to follow you. Thank you. That's very kind. So um, my website, as I said before, is the number one place because you can also get the most stuff there. That will be in the show notes. Thank you. Um, But also, I'm on LinkedIn all the time and also on Twitter. Twitter. Wonderful. It's fun on Twitter, LinkedIn, and then find you through your website, get on the email list. Also guys, download the free ebook. It has got so much valuable information in it that you can carry into your job, your company, or just interpersonal relationships. That is all true. What works at work often works at home. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you for all the information that you brought onto the show. I know people are going to find a lot of value in this and just thank you for being on here. And yeah. Um, Thank you. Ella, it was a fun conversation. Thank you. Yes, awesome. You are listening to For Better Self and Net Worth. In this community, we think you'll find your self-worth comes before your net worth and everything else. We also think you were designed to go after the life you want by ditching societal norms, knowing exactly who you are as an individual and going after your unique purpose here on this earth. Every week, Ella interviews an entrepreneur that designed the life they wanted among the challenges, naysayers, and leaving outside their comfort zone. Or you're going to hear straight from Ella, where she talks about the important lessons she's learned in life and how she's achieved the overall happiness she has. This is Ella, the host for Better Self and Net Worth. Based out of Nashville, Tennessee, she makes every single day an adventure. You'll always find her right here behind the microphone, sharing all her thoughts with all of you. And we appreciate you listening and hope you enjoy this episode.